This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome everybody. My name is Kevin. I'm the lead pastor here at Vortex, and it's good to have you as we kind of wrap up today a two-part series called Further Into the Vortex, really taking two weeks to examine the two core statements that shape our vision. Last week, we kind of leaned into the truth of Jesus wants to be the center. But over the past few months, we've been expanding on what we call our core values, the things that we care about as a church. And We've went through those today, and I'd like to kind of just present to you the last one, and it's real simple that we invest in God's kingdom. We realize that we as a church are not the kingdom of God. We are a part of the kingdom of God and what God is doing in us is amazing, but we are not simply here to be a bowl to contain God's blessings. We are blessed to bless others. This is why you're going to constantly hear us talking about what we give, how we've helped other churches to get started, how we've blessed other people to be a blessing to other people because we believe that we as a church and you are called to invest in the kingdom of God. Notice that this is something that we do. Not just something we believe. Not just something that we say, yeah, that's right. There's action in here. There's cost associated. It's not easy, but it's what we're called to do, the kinds of people we're called to be. Look at this verse with me. It's out of James 2, and I'm going to talk about some tension that this, these verses passage that I've taken a, a few of the verses just to kind of get the, the gist of this. I'm going to talk about the tension that this creates for us. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such faith save them? The implied answer is no, it can't. You see that a person is considered righteous or right with God by what they do and not faith alone. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. There is this contrast that the writer James is pulling out for all of us to see between faith and what we do. And the problem, this really is for us a very modern day problem. Because we live in a day and age where Christians are defined as being mature because of what they know. And we think that we can solve the problems that exist inside of us. If I could just read one more book, if I could just hear one more sermon, if I could just get, if I could just get, if I could just get. And James is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. First of all, let's talk about faith. Faith isn't just about information. Do you know what the Bible describes faith as? It describes faith as the evidence of things. Wait for it. Unseen means you don't know it. You can't see it. Doesn't make sense. So 
So many of us, because our language betrays us, have confused belief with faith. And the thing is, is that belief is a part of faith, but, but we have to understand that belief is not simply believing in information. Because if all you believe in is information that's been presented to you, you don't have faith. Faith is believing in something that moves you. That moves you, that compels your behavior. If I told you right now, in two minutes, the roof, I've been given word, the roof is going to collapse. If you had faith in what I just said, you get your butt out of here real quick, okay? Your faith would require activity. James is saying this is the way faith works. If your faith is not producing the action, it's dead. It's not really faith at all. Faith is supposed to activate within us and compel us into action. Maybe asking, what does that look like? Well, in Galatians 5, 6, the Apostle Paul is addressing this tension between we know that we're not saved by what we do, but when we are saved, when we finally do meet Jesus and He changes our lives and, and He changes our perspective and our hearts are transformed, there's no way that we can stay the same. There's no way that our behavior is going to remain the same. It's going to shift. And so He says this, what matters is faith working through love. This is the avenue that faith begins to move through. This is important for some of y'all to hear because the only actions associated with faith that you've ever heard of or believed in or bought into or done was faith that was compelled by duty. Faith that was compelled by obligation. But the Apostle Paul said, no, wait up. That's not how it's supposed to work at all. It's faith. It's moving through love. And the problem is a lot of times we kind of inverse this process. And we look at what we do and we say, well, I've lied and so I need to get better at lying. Or I cheated. I need to not cheat anymore. I'm struggling with fear. I need to not be afraid. And here's the thing. You do what you believe. You do what you believe. In 1 John chapter 2, John addresses this. He actually says, if you want the world to know that you're a Christ follower, just keep his commandments. If you really believe in him and you want other people to see it in you, this is the simple formula. Do what he said. Because you are in many ways, doing what you believe. And a lot of times we get in this place where we start to analyze our behavior and say, I've missed it. I'm I'm blowing it in my behavior. The problem isn't your behavior. Your behavior is a symptom of a belief issue. It's a faith issue. Your faith is compelling you to something That's not good, which means that you most often misplaced your faith. See, what we do matters. 
Not because what we do saves us, because what we do points backwards to what we believe in and have faith in. Look at this passage, Galatians 6. I used this a few weeks ago in a talk that I did on our birthday Sunday, but I want to go back to it. Let us not become weary in doing well, for at a proper time. Notice it says doing well, not believing well, not thinking well. Doing. Let's not grow weary in doing well. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So here's the equation. We do the right things. We do the good that God made us to do. We don't give up. And in God's timing, we will receive the blessing that he has destined for us. Here's the problem. We often start doing the right things, but then we give up because we don't see the blessing in our time. It's important for us to see this. Therefore, as an opportunity, as we have the opportunity, let us notice again, do good. To all people, all people, whether they look like you, act like you, believe like you, all of those, all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I want you to get this, that God wants you to do. He wants you to do good in the world. He wants you to do good to your neighbor. He wants you to do good in your career with your coworkers. He wants you to do good to your family members. But he also wants you to be active in doing well in his body that is the church. This verse is specifically looking at that. Faith always compels us to move, to build, to grow, to help. And I think that if we're going to talk about faith, we need to understand something about faith. That faith in our, in our hearts and in our lives is a maturing faith. Some of you are 45 or 50. You have the faith of a two or three-year-old because you've never accepted the reality that faith is meant to mature in our lives. In the same way that we're supposed to grow up, we're supposed to grow up in our faith as well. Look at what... The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, this great chapter on love, he says, when I was a child, I spoke about childish matters. Y'all ever listen to a kid talk? <laughs> they talk about the craziest stuff. Some of y'all talk about the craziest stuff. <laughs> Just going to be honest with you. I've read your Facebook walls. Just don't look good, okay? All right. For when I was a child, I spoke about childish matters. I saw things like a child, and I reasoned like a child, but the day came when I matured. And I set aside my childish ways. I want you to understand that God wants the faith in your heart, the expression of faith, the, the doing of faith to mature and grow in you. He doesn't want you to stay a two-year-old. He wants you to grow up. And today, for some of us, it's just time to grow up. So I'm going to walk you through three simple statements that draw a contrast between the mature and the immature. The first one is this. The immature want things their way, but the mature want things to be good for all involved. 
the immature walk out of a, a worship experience like this. Man, I wish they would have sung that song a little bit longer. I needed them to sing it longer for me. Man, worship should have been at least five minutes longer. It was so short today. I just need, I needed a little bit more worship. You know, the preacher, I really wish the preacher would have preached on a different topic today. I really needed to hear something positive and hopeful. When you walk out of a corporate worship experience thinking about those sorts of things, I just want you to understand that all that's being exposed is your immaturity. Because a mature believer in here understands that we want this to be good for everybody. We want it to be good for the person who's never been to church, has no idea what church is like, comes in here scared to death, sits down not knowing what's going to happen, doesn't like to sing. It's kind of like vacations. There are vacations me and my wife want to plan. Love to go on. I have three kids. Seven, five, and 18 months. If we went on the vacations that we want to go on, it would be a living nightmare trying to carry them, take care of them. Why? Because it's not designed for them. This is why parents go to Disney. Parents don't like Disney. Now, some of y'all like Disney. I'm just saying, okay, you're, a little, you're not in the majority, okay? I just want you to know that up front, Okay? But parents will go to Disney and they'll wait in lines that are 20 hours long for one, ride, one ride all day. Why? Because of their kids. They plan that vacation around their kids. Because the mature want what's best for all that is involved. But the immature want things their way. Look at this. This is, this is one that's going to hurt, y'all. Just get ready. Prepare your hearts. Um, the immature are concerned with what they get. The mature are concerned with what they give. The immature are concerned with what they get. The mature are concerned with what they give. I just want to just deal with a phrase that gets dropped in church. It's yet to get dropped to me. I'm very thankful for that. But it gets dropped in church a lot. I'm not being fed. You know what? I'm going to back away from this because I'm not being fed. Again, I have three kids. Seven, five, 18 months old. You realize that the person in our home that needs to be fed used to be our baby. He can feed himself now if we put the food low enough. The only person in the family that needs to be fed is the baby. So if you ever make the confession, I need to be fed, all you are confessing is your own immaturity. Because the more mature we become, the easier it is for us to be sustained. As a matter of fact, we can listen to a horrible message, and if you're a mature believer, you walk out with things that you go, yeah, that was good. I needed that. I need to hear that. The, easier, the more mature we become, the easier it is for us to be sustained. And the more mature we become, the more that we are sustained, not by what we get, but by what we give away. I don't know if you've realized this, but there is not a hearse that has ever went to a graveside with the U-Haul behind it. 
What you have is only borrowed for a short amount of time. Jesus said in the book of Acts that it is more blessed to give than to receive, which means that when we give away, there's a greater blessing than when we receive. And the mature among us understand that we are sustained by giving more than we are by giving. And the last one, the mature want to know or the immature want to know what the mature want to do. It's so sad to me that American Christian culture has defined Christianity by what we know. If you just get all these facts right and be able to recite the right things and say the right things, I want you to get this. That's immaturity. The desire that I need to know, 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 that most of us don't need to know anymore. We just need to do what we already know. So let me ask you this question deep down inside of you. What's greater in your heart, the desire to know or to do? What's greater in your heart? Are you asking God, God, I need facts. I need facts. I'll believe my kids are okay when I have the facts. Not because I have faith in you. Not because they're your kids and you'll take care of them. But I just need the facts. I'll believe that I'll be okay financially when I can check the bank account and it all makes sense. Here's the thing. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. How in the world can we live by faith if all we're living by is facts? How? How can we live simply by facts when faith is the evidence of things unseen? Today may be a moment when some of you are finally at a position where you see who I am. I was designed to invest into this kingdom, especially in this house. And maybe you backed away from that reality. Maybe today's the day that you step forward and you say, you know what, I've blown that. I've messed up. I need to step into the calling that I have on my life to serve to give away my life. If that's you on the back of your connection card today, I want you to write just in big bold letters, serve, and I want you to watch this video with me real quick. Watch this. So before we get started with the next part of the message, if you're a note taker, fill in the blanks are about to come at you at a breakneck speed, so just get prepared, okay? Um, I want to ask you this question, okay? Where are you going? It's a question I think many of us need to ask ourselves over and over and over and over again. As David prayed in the Psalms, God, search me and know me, reveal me to me, let me see me the way you see me, let me see my weaknesses, let me see my faults, let me see the things that are going wrong, the things that I can't see. We need to ask the question, where am I going? If we were to line up your choices, your behavior, your life headed in a direction that you want it to go, 
Are you making choices to set up the future that you want? Because in many ways, our futures are just the result of the choices that we make today. We believe this. It's very important to us around here, that life is a journey. Life is a journey. Fill in the blanks. There you go. Life is a journey, which means that we need to constantly be asking the question, which direction am I headed? Because that means it's asking the question, where's this journey actually taking me towards? Where am I going in life right now? And it's important for us to ask this question because oftentimes we do not like the answer that goes with that. See, many of us, if we're honest about the question of where are we going, we have defined our journey by a destination. If I were to ask you, where are you going right now, you would say, we are working on becoming debt-free. We are working on our marriage. We're trying to get more intimate. I'm trying to become a better parent. You know, I'm really trying to advance myself in my career. And really what we're saying is that I have a destination. This is where I'm going. That's where I'm going. I'm here. It's as if we got out a map and said, I'm right here. Over there's the destination. And however I can get there, that's how I'm going. And here's the problem with that. Is that when you define your life by a destination, you will take shortcuts to get there. And there are far too many of us that live in a fast food Amazon Prime day where we can get whatever we want almost overnight and we're not used to waiting and working a process. We'll take shortcuts on something that's good because we've defined the journey by a destination. Some of us, if we're honest and ask you, where are you going? We're just camping out. Oh, you know what? I'm in a good place in life. I'm really, 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 I worked hard to get here. Spent a lot of years sacrificing. I'm happy to be where I'm at. But you're camping out. And if I were to ask you to list for me five things that have changed in your heart in the last five years, you couldn't. Because you're in the same spot. You thought it was good. And so you camped out there. And the problem with that, the problem with that is that biologists would define something that does not move and does not change simply as dead. Which would mean that your journey through life isn't filled with life. Some of us are stuck in a cycle. We're stuck in a cycle. And the truth is, is that there are some natural things that appear to be cycles in life. We see seasons, right? We go through winter, and then there's spring and summer and fall, and we see this circular pattern. But some of you get stuck in cycles of addiction. 
you get really bad and you get addicted to something, then you come clean and then you're clean for a while, but then you get the same temptation and you fall back into the same behavior and it just becomes this really ugly, vicious cycle. If you've ever struggled with addiction or worked with anyone who has, you've seen that cycle play out. So I think that a lot of times when we try to answer that question, where are you going, we do that through lines and circles. But I want you to be reminded of a truth that I said last week, that that Jesus wants to be the center of your life. He doesn't want to be your greatest priority. He wants to be the center of your life, the center of your family, the center of your finances, the center of your career, the center of everything. Jesus wants to be your center. But obviously, we're called to grow closer to him. And a lot of times in Western culture, we've presented that as a short line. There's Jesus. Here's you. You're a sinner. Repent. Just do these few things and you'll be right over there. And then people do those few things and they're over here and they go, okay, so stop now. No. This is where the name of our church was really born out of. That we, we believe that Christ is supposed to be the center of our life, and and we know that we're not there. And we go through seasons of life, and life does at times appear to get closer, but there's this never-ending journey to get closer and closer and closer, which is why I believe that when we talk about where are you going, I believe our lives are supposed to be consumed by a vortex. This never-ending journey of growing closer and closer to him. That's why we would say that we we exist to invest in your journey to get closer to Jesus. Every Sunday we do that here and in other practical ways. We do that outside of these walls. We do this because we want to see you take the next step. We want to see you have a faith that doesn't sit still. We want to see you have a faith that compels you to go. We want you to be willing to be uncomfortable, to step out, and to go after God. Because here's the thing. Center matters a lot. Remind you of what I said last week, that we'll find our greatest strength from what lies at the center of our lives. If you place your kids there, your business there, if you place your finances there, there, the thing is, is that at times it can appear to be strong, but it is not strong enough to last. Only Jesus is. This is why his invitation is so different. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. I am the way. Come follow me. If you notice throughout the scripture, that was his invitation to the people who became his disciples. Come follow me. Which is why in Jesus, when Jesus is your center, you have a destination and a direction. 
See, the problem with lines is that lines have a destination but no direction. Circles have direction but no destination. But in Jesus, we find both a destination and a direction. Because the destination of our lives no longer becomes, I want to be debt free, I want to do this, I want to do this. It's Jesus. I just want Jesus. So we believe that life should be a journey to experience Jesus. And as we experience him, to be transformed into his image. Now there's some of y'all who have come a long way. Be honest with you. I'm so proud of some of you. Some of you started here years ago and you've made decisions and decisions and God has been doing things in your life. I'm so proud. But I want to read a passage of scripture that should challenge all of us. It comes from a man named Paul. He used to be named Saul. He was actually killing Christians. Then Jesus confronted him, changed his name to Saul. He then went on to plant churches, wrote by volume a third of the New Testament. In the book of Philippians, in which he is writing from a jail cell, he pins these words. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. I just want to stop there and say this. This is important. If he has not reached perfection, hate to break it to you, but neither of you and neither of I. Okay? So he's about to lay out some things that are important. But I press on. Move forward. Move. Go. Press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing. I love that he says I do one thing, then he lists two things, because that's confusing, but I love it, and I want to explain it. Look at this. One thing, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly promise for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us to. I just want to stop and say something about our church. Our church is more committed to the future than we are to the past. The past is good. We are thankful for the past. We are thankful for those who have served in the past. We are thankful for what has happened in the past. But I want you to get this. We are more committed to the future than we are to the past because there are still people who have yet to walk through these doors who are still yet to have encountered the message of hope that is contained in Jesus. We are more committed to the future than we are to the past. It's exactly what Paul is pointing us to. I press on to the future, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting the good things. Some of us are trapped in the good old years. And some of us are trapped in some stuff that's filled with shame. So today, I want to embrace three different groups of people. If you're here today, and you really have given your life to Jesus, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, I want you to embrace this truth very simply. I have not arrived. I want you to embrace the truth. If the Apostle Paul can say, I have yet to attain this, then we need to say, I am not there yet. I have not arrived. And I want you to start thinking about this very 
important question when it comes to your life. Where are you moving towards right now? Are you moving towards things that are comfortable? Are you moving towards things that are uncomfortable? Are you moving towards things that cost you? Or are you moving towards things that give to you? Are you living out faith in a mature way? Are you even moving at all? Are you even being stretched at all? Because we're constantly called to take the next step. If you're here and you've been stumbling and struggling, I want to ask you this question. What is your center? Where is it? Because our lives are naturally going to wrap around whatever the center of our life is. And a lot of times the problems come because we've got the wrong center. So I want you to understand today that for some of you, the problem is simply that you need to repent and put Jesus back at the center of your life. Not your career, not your family, not your kids, not your finances. Jesus. And then you need to ask the question, the same question. What has your life been moving towards? Because that question at times will diagnose what the center of your life is. And if you're here today and you're seeking God, and the truth is is that you're not sure about all of this, I just want to ask you how it's going. How's it working out? Because you're either here for a couple reasons. Maybe you're here because somebody paid you some money to come. Good for them. Amen. Right? You're here because a friend promised you some lunch afterwards or something like that. Or you're here because you really recognize that the way that you've been living is busted. And it's not working. So if you have some doubts, I want to just drop this thought for you to pray over. And it's very very simple, that Jesus is the only journey worth living. Jesus is the only journey worth living. The only journey in life that's worth taking is the one that leads us towards Jesus. Now, if we get on that journey, a lot of times towards Jesus is going to take us towards a a calling, and it's going to take us maybe towards a relationship, but it's in a journey towards Jesus that we find the right things. It's the only journey worth taking. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, We encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.